All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. On the show today, we have Norman Plotkin. Norman is an author, hypnotherapist, coach, writing, uh, writer, uh, along with public speaker. Uh, he's had a 25-year career as a public policy consultant and lobbyist. Um, he battled cancer and then emerged with a new perspective. Afterwards, he went back to school and became a certified clinical hypnotherapist, wrote a book on taking charge of your health challenges, and began to advocate for people instead of companies. Currently, Norman is tending to his private hypnotherapy practice and leading virtual group meditation sessions. He's about to release his second book, Mastermind, Master Life. Norman, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here, Toby. Awesome. Well, I want to kind of get, maybe if we could kind of sort of get your story as far as you, uh, you know, your vocal on, uh, on your website, um, you know, about kind of your battle with cancer. So tell me a little about kind of, you know, finding hypnosis and then kind of deciding to dedicate the, you know, a career change to, to the practice of it. Yeah, sure. I uh, got a late start, didn't go to college. Till I was 25 and then was in a hurry. I was on my way to law school and found the legislature instead and uh, became a clerk and then a consultant and then an analyst. And then I, I ran campaigns. Then I became a lobbyist. I lobbied for the medical association and then started my own firm. And I loved the world of public policy and it was interesting, never a dull moment, but the politics is, is a little caustic and it, uh, it challenged me down to my core and I ended up sick. I had papillary carcinoma in 2011, which is thyroid cancer. I had underwent a radical thyroidectomy and lymph node dissection and uh, a round of radiation. And I went back, you know, I wanted to get back to normal. <laughs> and, but what I didn't realize at the time was that normal is what made me sick, the lifestyle and the stress and the toxic environment. And so uh, six months later, it came back. I had to have a second round of radiation there were complications. Uh, it's never just about the cancer. You know, my, my marriage failed and the business, I, I looked at it and I, I decided I, I don't want to do it anymore. So I uh, reevaluated. I made lifestyle changes. I, I, a friend of mine had gotten out of politics and opened a yoga studio. She took me through therapeutic yoga for cancer and taught me how to meditate. And um, the ravishes of, of radiation, you know, I'm atrophied, I was weak and both mentally and physically. And she took me through Pilates and I regained my strength and started martial arts and then uh, did a kind of a, an assessment of where I wanted to be. And as I was doing this assessment, teachers began to appear like Wayne Dyer. I, I read The Power of Intention and Carolyn Meese, Why We Don't Heal. Um, anatomy of the spirit and uh, I began to reevaluate my whole perspective and the power of the mind was of great interest and the universe just kind of led me in the right direction I ended up in LA uh, south from Sacramento where I had been living and uh, there's a nationally accredited school for hypnotherapy there and I just happened to know somebody who kn knew somebody who went there and we had dinner and I and we talked about it and 
I had never been hypnotized before. And, but I was so intrigued with the power of the subconscious mind, the book of the same name, Joseph Murphy. Uh, and I dove right in and I saw it as an avenue to begin to help others, which was the, the premise of the power of intention by Wayne Dyer is to put yourself into the service of others. And so I really, you know, I asked the universe for a process by which I could be in the service of others. In fact, I even wrote a letter to Archangel Michael and, and said, you know, I've got these skills that people paid me a lot of money for, but I, how do I help others with them instead of, you know, corporations and politicians? Signed my name, took it in the backyard, lit it on fire and gave it to the universe. And within, within weeks I was directed. So uh, I, that became my platform to help others. I, I dove in and to the to school and the subject matter and did a residency afterwards and uh, began seeing clients. And, and it was a, a portion of my spiritual awakening, which is, you know, it's taken seven years. Uh, it, it's been a process, but it has really led me to what I believe is my soul's purpose. And working with clients, I'm curious, you know, what, maybe some of the things that you've learned just about, you know, kind of the body and the mind as far as how, you know, physical diseases can sort of manifest with, you know, or, or have some psychological elements in it. Just talk to me about that. What, what kind of the biggest, uh, you know, learning experiences that you've gotten just, you know, doing this work. Oh yeah. It's been fascinating. So uh, a couple of points. First, childhood is so important. I, I do, with every client, I do a deep dive and a history and we go over their childhood and their family structure. Because much of what manifests later in life is directly or indirectly resulting from childhood experiences. And so one of the very valuable uh, things that I learned at HMI was counseling and interviewing. I'd always been a good listener, but when I, as a lobbyist, I listened to respond instead of listened to reflect and incorporate. So, uh, as, and also when you're doing hypnotherapy, it's super important that you use the, the client's words and not yours because the, you know, we're suggest, suggestible to ourselves. And, and so if I gave my words and spoken you know, the way I speak, it wouldn't be as effective. So it's super important that you listen and you, you use their reflective words, uh, reflective listening, and uh, the words that they use. And uh, I do a lot of inner child work. So that's, that's the first thing I wanted to share. Childhood is so important. And children you know, blame themselves for so much. And then they carry these things forward. And, and, um, and so I'm, I'm keenly aware of that component. And oftentimes, the origins are... Uh, seen in experiences from childhood and trauma is cumulative and trauma can be you don't have to see somebody die or, or something trauma can be a bitter disappointment or a slight or you know there's also there's all sorts of things that can create a traumatic imprint so childhood is the first thing second thing and it's related usually people come in for something that's it's not what it's related it's not what it's about it's they come in for sugar or they come in for weight or they come in for you know these things that that they present with but it's almost always 
has an emotional underpinning. And, and again, going back to childhood and, and a review of their life experience and their family structure is going to help us discover that. And the other thing is, um, you know, th there's a whole body of medicine called psychosomatic medicine. Now, it, it got a kind of a bad name at some point along the way, you know, it's all in your head, but it really is uh, the mind-body connection. And there's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about how we somatize our emotional issues into our body. And I'll give you a, a prime example of the, that with a, a client experience. She came in, uh, she had fibromyalgia and she'd had it for nine years and she had seen doctors, had access to great doctors uh, and uh, professional, worked in the legislature. And um, the, you know, they took a, an account of her symptoms and said, told her what they thought she had and said, the only thing we can do is control the pain. Here are some pills. And so she took pills for eight years that had all these terrible side effects and she was depressed have a hard time getting out of bed, you know, and just, just not a very good quality of life. And so she, on her own, stopped taking the pills, both opio opioids and uh, you know, psychotropic drugs. And um, then she came to see me and I did the family structure and she'd had a tough childhood on the other side of the tracks with a single mom, but she managed that. She, she had, gone into the Air Force and she was uh, successfully navigated the tour in the Air Force and um, excelled at that and and um, you know got into a, a great career and so she was very strong she was a very strong woman so we did inner child we did uh, we did the garden of life where I take her into the garden of her life and and we rake up all the dead old leaves of people and events that no longer serve her and, and kind of light it on fire and burn it out and plant new seeds, which is just a metaphor for writing a new story. And then uh, in a subsequent session, I asked her if she was ready to get rid of this. And she said, well, if I could get rid of this, I'd have done it a long time ago. I said, okay, but if you could. And so I took her through a session where I took, I took uh, detailed notes about what she would do if it was gone, who she would be with, what she would be doing, all the things that she would do, what her life would look like. And then I, when I took her into hypnosis, I had her, her I, I said to her that when she was ready to let go of it, her arm would begin to lift and rise. And it took a little while, but sure enough, her arm began to lift and rise and it was up here in front of her. And I read back to her all the things that she had said that she would do. And then I brought her up out of the hypnosis and her arm was still up. And the first thing she saw was her arm sticking up. So her, her subconscious and her conscious mind connected on an agreement that she was ready to let it go. And it turns out that she was very, a very physically strong person. I was the first one that asked her, what was going on in your life when it started? And it turns out she had gone through a nasty divorce. There was a child involved and she was very emotional and she couldn't handle the emotional pain. So she shoved it into her strong body. She somatized that emotional pain into her body and it manifested as a collection of autoimmune symptoms. And she masked it and band-aided it with opioids 
and antidepressants for eight years until she was ready, until she was ready. And so I let, I usually do every week. I let two weeks go between the next session. And then I emailed her and said, are you ready for your next session? She said, yes. So I emailed back kind of holding my breath. What would you like to work on? And she came back with uh, motivation. I've been sleeping in, I've been depressed for so long, I don't know how to act. And so I was so happy that it was, it had nothing to do with the pain. The pain was gone. And now she just wanted to work on motivation. So, so the mind-body connection is critical. There's psychosomatic medicine. There's also um, psychoneuroimmunology. There's a, UCLA has a big department on, on that. And that's mind-body-spirit. So there are Western allopathic approaches to these type of things, but it's, it doesn't get the attention that pharmaceuticals and uh, you know more uh, invasive interventions and therapies tend tend to get. So uh, there's a huge psychological component. I mean, great book, another great book, um, Deepak Chopra, uh, Quantum Healing, right? And he, and in it he, as have others, they speak widely on um, the placebo effect. Right, so any drug that goes to market in, in a blind study, a third of the group is gets nothing. A third of the group gets the marketed drug, and a third of the group gets a sugar pill. And and 30% of the time, the people with the sugar pill are healed. And so, the 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 role of of the mind and expectancy is super important in in health. And the flip side of that is the nocebo effect. You know, there was a study done that. Uh, I don't know, 70, 75% of medical students, all of, they get sick with the symptoms that they're studying when they're in medical school. So we can make ourselves sick too. I mean, we, we can look around today, there's a lot of folks struggling with the stress over the current uh, health scare and the condition going around. And you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of um, effects of that. If we, if we don't do self-care for our state of mind and keeping it, keeping ourselves in a, in a, with a healthy perspective. So, so uh, those are the two or three things in response to your question about the, the mind-body connection. The, the, the mind and the body are closely connected. There are some who argue that our organs have intelligence, that the brain and the heart speak to each other, and as well as the other organs. The gut is known as the second brain. And in, the, in quantum healing, Deepak, uh, Dr. Chopra, talks about um, the intelligence of our neurochemistry. And so we can, we can analyze the components of the neurochemistry and we can synthesize it in the laboratory. But the drug that results from that laboratory synthesis it, that lacks the intelligence of the human body. And that's why there's inefficacy and side effects. So uh, the, the, the body is, is a powerful, machine and the mind is intricately connected with its performance and its health. Well said. And you mentioned the, the nocebo effect. I was actually going to ask you a question kind of around surrounding that. Uh, I was actually just listening to an audiobook uh, called Mind to Matter by Dawson Church. And he was sort of bringing up, uh, you know, some case studies about sort of patients who, who had sort of when he got to the underlying root of, of their problem, it often tended to be, you know, there, there was some element of them holding on to uh, sort of the illness 
because they were getting some positive or, or not necessarily even positive, but some attention from it. And I'm curious just to ask you, how it, do you see that playing out much in your work? Is that a rare thing? Is it a common thing? Absolutely common. We refer to it as secondary gain. Uh, in Carolyn Meese's YouTube video, Why We Don't Heal, we become, it becomes our story. And so that Garden of Life uh, uh, approach that I spoke about, it, it's about writing a new story. There's another saying, before you help someone heal, make sure they're ready to let go of the thing that made them sick. So we, it, our stories, I'm sure we all know someone who posts on Facebook on a regular basis about their illness. And there, some are, I mean, and again, psychosomatic medicine is complex. Doesn't mean they don't, aren't in pain. It doesn't mean their symptoms aren't real. It just means they're holding on to them because it's part of their story. And I do a lot of work around that. It's, are you ready to heal? Are you ready to let go? Do you, can't, are you ready to write a new story? We're powerful humans. The, the challenge lies in the uh, empowerment versus responsibility conundrum, right? So take, for example, Viktor Frankl's uh, quote, between stimulus and response is a space, and in that space lies our power. And our power is there because we get to decide what kind of human being we want to be. So on one hand, it's very empowering. We get to decide. On the other hand, it can be a little scary for some because now they have the responsibility. They can no longer externalize their fate, right? The um, uh, Carl Jung said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. And it's so easy to point to something outside of ourselves as the reason why we can't get better. Or, you know, there, um, Carolyn Meese tells the story of this Navajo Indian fellow who had been in World War II and he was captured by the Germans and, and uh, he came back and the experience, he was crippled up, you know, it's just uh, unexplained paralysis and so the the tribe gathered around and they were doing an intervention uh, to help him and they you know, he had told these stories about having you know bugs shoved down his throat and you know torture and all these type of things and they, they the the tribe someone had found a guard from the, the prison camp and he and they, he told the story that that the, the the worms and stuff he shoved in his mouth was so that he would survive. He was he was going to starve to death. And so when he when he got a, the different perspective, when he when it was no longer seen as torture, when it was seen instead as benevolence, then he began to heal. And I you know I'm paraphrasing terribly, uh, but uh, it's in the Carolyn Meese. Um, uh, video on YouTube on why we don't heal. And I just thought it was a fascinating, a fascinating um, example. There's another example in trying to remember um, what book it was. Uh, it escapes me right now, but the story was about this fellow who had a terrible cancer prognosis and he didn't, he wasn't given, you know, but a few months to live. And there was this ex newly announced experimental drug 
and it was supposed to be a wonder drug, anti-cancer wonder drug. And, and he wasn't a candidate because his prognosis was so terrible. Uh, but he begged his doctor to, um, to administer the drug for him. And the doctor felt bad, and so he did. And the, this guy had a miraculous recovery. And it was unexplained. Allopathic medicine calls it um, uh, spontaneous remission. They don't, they don't really know how to, tell, how, to, uh, how to explain things that happen uh, outside of, um, uh, you know, their, their paradigm. And so this guy had a miraculous re uh, recovery and, um, uh, and then it was announced that the clinical trials were not successful and that the drug doesn't work and it wasn't going to uh, go to market. And the man quickly declined and died. And so expect, it's, it's, the term is expectancy. If we expect to have a death sentence, we're likely to march right into that sentence. So uh, it's really important how our self-talk is, is very, very critical. Self-talk is, is so important, how we talk to ourselves. We all have this onboard dialogue, this inner voice that we have conversations with. And, um, and we, can, we can lift ourselves up or we can knock ourselves down. It really is that simple. So what, when the coaching part of what I do is I teach people to meditate and I teach people about their self-talk. Because if you create the expectation, you are very likely to live up to it. Right. Norman, I, well, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Um, well, maybe kind of along the same lines, I wanted to ask you about your book. Um, that I had mentioned in the intro, the book that you're coming out with, uh, Mastermind, Master Life. I was wondering if you could just kind of tell me what sort of inspired you to write that and a little uh, about what the book is about. Yeah, absolutely. It, I wanted to write this book when I first started the journey learning about hypnosis. But the first book was Take Charge of Your Cancer, The Seven Proven Steps to Healing and Recovery. And it really was a cathartic memoir about my cancer journey and what I learned and seven empowering steps because it's, you know, it's hard to know what to do and it's not very empowering to go where you're told and take what you're supposed to take. And so, you know, I, I came up, I learned these things the hard way and there's seven steps that, that people can take. Uh, so when I got that one out of the way, I went to work on the book that I really wanted to write about because there's such a misconception about hypnosis and hypnotherapy. All right. People's introduction is usually, television, Hollywood, vaudeville, uh, well, I mean, movies of vaudeville because it's not really going on anymore, but, uh, you know, uh, the state fair, stage hypnosis or Vegas, you know, these are people's introduction, the pocket watch, you know, you're getting very sleepy. And it's, has, it's such a powerful modality, uh, non-invasive, organic and natural that I just want to go tell it to the mountain, you know? So this book is about what is it? What is hypnosis? What's the history of it? How long has it been around? Who's been involved in it? What are the highs and lows? And um, 
then what does science say? And this isn't a scholarly journal, but it is a, a review of what studies that are going on. There's, a, there's some major work uh, out of England, the UK. Uh, the Human Givens Project is, is amazing. Uh, Stanford University, Dr. David Spiegel. Uh, and we have modern machines that can measure all this stuff now, and they, they can rattle off uh, precise explanations of what's going on in your brain for those who need it. And so I gave just enough science for those who want, who need uh, that foundation to, to be able to trust. And, um, and so, so what is it? What's its history? What does science say? And how can you use it? That's basically uh, it in a nutshell, the powerful subconscious mind and how you can use trance work to better yourself and, um, and overcome, uh, overcome, problems or or place yourself into uh, motivation or excellence and performance. So uh, th this is the work that I do, what I've learned in the six years I've been doing it, and uh, why people should understand it in the context different from Vegas showmanship. Right. Do you still encounter that so that when you talk to a lot of uh, new clients, are they still sort of, they're still under the impression that hypnosis is sort of that, what you were talking about? Yeah, I, my, in my pre-induction talk, uh, I dispel a lot of myths. It's not a loss of control. You, you know, you're free to get up at any moment. It's, it's, um, it's uh, deep relaxation with focused concentration. The uh, American Psychology Association calls it uh, as a state of inner absorption, concentration, and focused attention. And so um, I, I do, I dispel a lot of myths. One of the common things is, oh, I don't think I can be hypnotized. Well, Dr. Spiegel et al., you know, they, in their studies, they, they say that 75 to 80% can be hypnotized and there's 20 to 25% who can't be. I say, in my experience, if you want to be, you can be. Right. It's so in my in my therapeutic relationship, uh, you know, trust and rapport. And the, it, if we have trust and rapport and, and we build a partnership and they realize that I'm not going to do anything to them, we're going to do something together, then everyone can be hypnotized. It's just deep relaxation. In fact, hypnosis is a natural state that we go into every day. If you're if you're driving home from work and you end up in the driveway and you don't remember the trip. You were in hypnosis. You know, radio, radio advertisers know that. That's why drive time is so expensive. So, um, you know, it really is uh, fairly ubiquitous. And, uh, and, but at the same time, it's non-invasive. It doesn't take any chemicals, no, no pills, no medicine. It's just a desire to do it. And so... Uh, and, and to let go of the things that you've been holding on to and to uh, embrace writing a new story. And so that's, that's a lot of the work I do is around writing the new story. And speaking of sort of writing the new story and, and sort of, I wanted to ask you about, you know, hypnosis for uh, peak performance. And if you work with those sort of uh, clients and just kind of what you think about, you know, helping people, maybe not necessarily with a, a diagnosable, um, you know, psychiatric or medical condition, but just helping people sort of gain more of an awareness and more of a control over the way their minds function. Um, 
Well, I mean, mindset. Mindset is everything. Any, uh, any top performer knows that it begins with the mindset and training and mindset are, are, are critical. The same part of the, the, the mind uh, that keeps your temperature at, you know, 98.6 controls our behavior. That's why, you know, oftentimes on the, on the negative side, uh, there's some kind of threat and you, and you have a defense mechanism and that, and this behavior develops, the threat goes away and the behavior persists. And so a lot of times what I do is, is, um, is help people let go of that behavior that's no longer necessary. But by the same token, athletes and performers get in the state of flow. That, that's, it's a hypnotic uh, state that, you know, this, this flow state that your subconscious mind, you know, you practice and practice and practice and it, it becomes oftentimes if you talk to uh, top performers that it's, it's effortless. They're in the state of flow. And uh, I mean, just look at what, you know, watch Michael Jordan play basketball, you know, or Magic Johnson, or, you know, there's, we can think of, or Tiger Woods playing golf. You know, and many of them used hypnosis. Tiger Woods used hypnosis. Jack Nicholas used hypnosis. Uh, many, many, Muhammad Ali, Jack Foreman. I mean, uh, Mike George Tyson, Foreman, I know. Yeah, I mean, they, they've used hypnosis because it, uh, it helps you overcome the blocks. What, so what do we do? If we have a perceived threat, our mind tries to wall it off or obviate it in some fashion. And if, if, we, if we lessen the threat, and now we have our full attention on our performance instead of guarding against the threat. So um, I, have done, I have done some on a limited uh, basis. It, it's, for some reason, I, I just tend to attract folks who are trying to let go of, of negative behavior. But uh, I have had a couple of uh, young boxer in, in LA uh, who I helped. And, um, you know, and, and that's fun because it's, it's unlocking potential, which is, that's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's as much, you know, it's as much fun helping people unlock potential as it is releasing them from something that they've been hold, holding on to. But for some reason, you know, we all attract, we attract uh, a certain set. And, and that seems to be my, my, um, my, I don't know if it's because my expertise or, you know, what I'm attracted to, but uh, there's definitely many examples of, People, high performers, using hypnosis um, to up their game, next level, overcome a block, right? So we have this block because, and again, what does it do? It speaks back to our self-talk. We, you know, this self-limiting um, dialogue that's that's going on. Maybe you, maybe you had a, a trial and you didn't, you know, it's something wasn't right, and now that's stuck in in your mind you, you can't get past that that experience is he, you know uh dr joe dispenza will tell you change is difficult we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts every day and 90% of them are the same as they were yesterday and that's why i try and help people learn to meditate and start their day with you know 10 minutes for 10 minutes just be quiet and still and before that onslaught of 60 to 70,000 thoughts come pouring back you know, take a moment and decide, uh, decide w where you want to go and what you want to do. And you can begin because what happens for most of us, it takes some threat or some crisis or some breakup or, you know, or, or you get fired or there's some, otherwise we just put one foot in front of the other or 
you know, maybe we just, we show up and bring half our game because, because we're afraid of showing how powerful we are. And so breaking that cycle of repetitive thought and automatic action is very, very, very important if you want to change in any fashion. And you mentioned uh, the sort of blockages. What in your practice, what are kind of the most uh, common ones that you run into with people? Is it, is it childhood experiences? Is it, um, is it, is it all sort of rooted in, in childhood as, as you were sort of alluding to maybe at the beginning? Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I mean, look, we have everything we're born with everything we need to be whatever we want. And along the way we're told, no, can't do that. That'll never work. No, no. I think about the things you're told in childhood. Money doesn't grow on trees. Why can't you be like your sister? You know what I mean? And so uh, these things become our programming and, and they're played subconsciously. We're not even aware of that. And so, uh, you know, we create our own glass ceiling. Uh, I, I had a client who was super successful and um, he had multiple uh, locations for his business and and he was highly intelligent but he felt blocked and so we we did three sessions and we, we worked around his childhood and uh it turns out he was hyperactive and very intelligent and his dad didn't know how to handle him and he locked him in his room for long periods of time and that that little boy was stuck in the room and that was a limitation. And when, you know, he realized he had the key to the door the whole time, but going back in a regression and allowing them to visit and introduce them, the, the adult him and the child him and letting him know he loved, he was loved and, you know, had everything he needed. He was able to transcend those blocks that kept him before. I mean, one of my favorite sayings is about the, the little boy who goes down the hallway to his room, he opens the door and it's full of horse poop. And he says, there's a pony in here somewhere. And it's that eternal optimism. It's, it's that way, that reframe. It, basically, that's your most basic of reframes. Instead of seeing a pile of manure, he's encouraged that there's a pony in there. So it's, it's super important that uh, we, we reframe things. The reframe is, is so critical to everything I do because you go down this path and this, and this ex expectancy, this expectation based on the limiting things we've been told. I mean, you're told as a kid, grow up, you know? And so, uh, and no, you can't do that. Don't, who are you to think you could do something like that? And these, and this is just the on, going dialogue that's in the back of our mind over and over and over. So these are the blocks and, and it takes, you know, it just, it takes some reflective listening and I, I just ask questions and get them to, you know, free associate about their childhood. I mean, um, I had a client who was, you know, she was a retired nurse and she just she couldn't lose a few, the last 10 pounds and no matter what she did, and it, it turned out that she was still trying to vie for the love of her deceased father, who was the life of the party, you know, always 
that he had come from lack as a child in the and the depression and was in the war and he came out and was very successful and had all his money and there was you know food and drink everywhere always in the life of the party and you know she was still trying to win his affection and he's he passed away but being the life of the party and you know the the eating in ways that that so it was emotional oftentimes eating is emotional and it and it it's, comes down to finding but the, her block was it was her connection to her her father just like i had another client who came to me for sugar and you know we did three sessions and uh, did some negative reinforcement on uh, on her sugar and it was important to her because she runs a an organic uh, products company and uh, so it, it was fairly successful. She did the three sessions and she went about her, her business. And about six months later, she called in a panic and said, I've fallen off the wagon. Can you help me? I, I just, I'm binging on sugar. I said, sure, come on in. And so I, I, I pulled her file before she came in and I was re reviewing it. And so when she got there, I said, you know, you said you thought you had dealt with your mom's death the first time we talked. So let me ask you, did your mom bake for you? Did she make cookies and cupcakes and stuff? I said, this isn't about the sugar. This is a connection to your mom. What's going on? She said, um, the anniversary of my mom's passing is, is coming up and I put on the wake every year. And so in the, in the run up to her mother's wake and uh, remembrance celebration, she needed to cling to that sugar, which was her connection to her mom. So we did, we did a, a session on uh, coping with loss and helped her release her mom lovingly. And the sugar was no longer an issue. I'm curious, how, how often do you think that, have you experienced that people are able, because what you did there sounds, you know, very intuitive, you know, where you were able to kind of put two and two together um, as far as like getting to the root of the issue. How many people do you experience that, that are able to kind of figure that out? Like they know, oh, I'm, uh, you know, experiencing whatever it is. I, I'm feeling really lazy. I haven't been going to the gym, but then they're actually able to kind of like figure out where, where that sort of issue got rooted. Most people paper over it and soldier on. I see the people I see can't figure it out. And, and when, then they feel embarrassed when I'm fairly quick to come to it. I mean, you, you know what I mean? I just, as I'm taking my notes and I'm asking questions and when I'm circling around this, the family structure and whatnot, I, I'm fairly quick and they, and they get all embarrassed. I'm like, listen, it's, you're human. This is so common. Right. And it's, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. You're too close to it. Of course, you, you know, it's, it's, of course it's difficult for you to see that, uh, to connect those dots. But, um, you know, my skill and my gift is a combination of having, you know, done this for 10,000 hours plus now. And, um, and, and there's a bit of intuition. I, you know, I, I have, I have some gifts and that's why, you know, circling back, to the uh, your question about why hypnosis, this is my avenue. This is my avenue to be able to find my sole purpose. And the same kind of analysis and intuition that made me a good lobbyist makes me a good hypnotherapist. Awesome. What uh, we're getting sort of close to the end of the show, but 
for our listeners, and I asked uh, Erica uh, this question um, when we did the episode. I'm curious what your your take on this is, as far as you know, if people you know really enjoyed listening to the episode and are curious about uh, finding out more about hypnosis or actually going to a hypnotist themselves. What sort of recommendations, as far as like finding, you know, a good uh, good practitioner, a good program, a good fit? Uh, what what would you sort of advise? First and foremost, training. There are schools you can get a certificate in a weekend or a week or two weeks. It's really important that the person who you're considering has solid training uh, because. In order to be effective, you know, th this isn't biting into an onion and thinking it's an apple, all right? This is, you know, there may be, you know, some regression, like the childhood, this, this is some stuff that it can dig some stuff up. And um, it's really important that the person understands what they're doing, all right? And so training is important. The other thing is rapport. If you don't have rapport, you won't let them in. You, you know, you won't, you, there's gotta be that, that partnership you have to kind of like the person. And uh, so that's super important. So training and rapport and trust. Trust and rapport are the two absolute you know, must-haves. You, you, you gotta trust the person and you gotta kind of like them. And then if, they, if they're well-trained and didn't just you know, get a certificate on a weekend course, then you, you've got a good shot at being super successful at what it is you're trying to do. Awesome. Well, Norman, I've uh, had an awesome time having you on the show today. Uh, if people want to learn more about your work, uh, read your books, where would you direct them? Normanplotkin.com, N-O-R-M-A-N-P-L-O-T-K-I-N is my website. I've got a ton of information there, links to my books. Uh, both books are on Amazon and elsewhere, uh, both uh, in ebook and paperback, and uh, there's some videos and stuff on yeah, my website's a, a really good uh, resource for uh, what I'm about and uh, you know, the things that I'm uh, trying to share. And then, um, and then my Facebook page is Norman Plotkin Inc. That's I-N-C, Facebook. And on that page, I've got links to my uh, Saturday evening virtual meditation, group meditations that I lead. And so anybody's welcome to join that by Zoom. And uh, yeah, so uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, and, uh, my name as well. Very cool. And for our listeners who enjoyed the show today, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where Roscoe's Wetsuit. And you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Um, go ahead and also uh, follow us on Instagram where Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. All right, Norman, again, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Toby, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely.